Driven MT Podcast, the most efficient and realist podcast in the NFT world. I'm your host, Jared. Today, we have a spicy one. If you're new to NFTs, Web3, blockchain, I highly suggest you start at episode one, where I explain NFTs to my mom. Work your way all the way through the catalog. I promise it's a catalog of gold. And I'm confident either I or one of the guests we've had on will teach you something 100%. And if you're not new here, welcome back, baby. Alrighty, so today we have Sergio Silva. Sergio holds a position of Senior Director for Web3 Business Development at Fireblocks. Sergio stepped into this role in July of 2022 after initially joining the company in June of 21 to spearhead the creation of the Latin American sales team. In addition to his role at Fireblocks, Silva founded Seize the Meebs a project combining additioned art with memes to encourage the ownership of digital assets and the use of NFTs for conveying value. Known for his deep involvement in the NFT community, he is a co-founder of NeonDAO, an investment fund aimed at fostering the growth of the open metaverse. Silva's professional journey began at Goldman Sachs in 2009, followed by a significant tenor at Barclays starting in 2014, where he led the Latham Equity Sales Team for seven years before transitioning to the digital asset field. This episode is very insightful, and of course, it's a banger. Every episode is a fucking banger. Come on, you already know. Please enjoy the show. Alrighty, so today we have a very special guest. Today we have Mr. Sergio Silva. Sergito, Sergito, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, Sergio. So I often find this is like the sweet spot in a lot of young people's careers right that just getting just getting out of high school going to college trying to figure out what you want to do so i'm just curious can you walk me through that process for you was it like a yes i already know what i want to be or was it kind of wishy-washy you didn't really know how was that for you yeah so i had a really interesting kind of like high school experience uh, so I'm, I'm from mexico and i grew up on the border with texas so i had the privilege of going to to a small private school on the u.s side um, to learn English. So every morning I'll wake up in Mexico and drive across the border, go to school in the U.S., watch Channel One and, you know, care about U.S. teenager things and then drive back home to Mexico. Um, and for me, that was, uh, you know, coming from a family that you know, my parents didn't go to college, especially in the U.S., didn't really know how the college system worked. So after I graduated high school, I went to, to college in Mexico first. Um, and the big difference between Mexico and the U.S. is that in Mexico, you have to declare your major from literally day one. So I just turned 17. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just wanted to be in business. Um, and I picked uh, international business at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple of years later, I really discovered what kind of like, you know, the world of finance and Wall Street was. And I fell in love with it. And so I changed my major to, to finance. And then I realized that, you know, being Mexican, living in Mexico is very really hard to get a job in Wall Street. So I, transfer, I, I transferred schools back to the U.S. to UT San Antonio. And um, once I did that for my life, last two years of education, I really kind of had my goal set, which was, you know, to make it onto a trading desk on Wall Street. And so I was very, very lucky that I was able to execute on that. 
Um, but it definitely took, you know, a couple of years of, of just studying in Mexico and trying to really figure out what I wanted to do for myself. Mm-hmm. And so about, I'm sorry, so about what age were you at that point? So when I made the decision, I was 19. Got yeah, it. halfway through, 19. That's when I really realized, um, I thought maybe I wanted to be an engineer. And then there was a, a mock stock market competition in school. And I, I figured out a way to uh, to win it by, you know, maybe doing stuff that's not, today very legal <laughs> but it's just a game and i was like hey this is fun and we can make money so i, know I started looking into into kind of like finance on wall street and just you know how companies were funded and all that cool stuff and i just completely fell in love with it and i became that little like geek who wore suits to school once i transferred over to the u.s <laughs> and i you know i ran for like student president of my college of business and and stuff like that to really you know really kind of like showcase for you know potential future employers that i was really serious about this thing got it that's, that's super cool. So what would you say was like your first maybe idea or, or project or maybe bit yeah, business idea? Like did anything how like how did that how was that first project for you? As far as business goes, I mean, you know, for me, I I kind of just wanted to get some some professional experience and um it's not that I had a business idea, it was more that I really wanted to end up on, on Wall Street. And so I was able to get an internship at Goldman Sachs uh, in the summer of 2008 on the sales and trading division. And, um, you know, those 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 positions are very entrepreneurial of sorts. Right. Because it's um, it's a place where you kind of like eat what you kill. Um, You have a number next to your name every single year and you have to hit that number. and, And it involves obviously, you know, depending on the role that you are playing. It involves, you know, a bunch of different things that I, you know, now look back and, and realize how entrepreneurial it was. But yeah, that was my that was my original goal to really get that professional experience under my belt, get, you know, um, good names on the resume um, so that I could build on from there. That's cool. I like that. And just curious, Sergio, what was the border town in Mexico that you that you were from? Um, it's called Matamoros. It's across from Brownsville, Texas. It was not known for anything until Elon decided to build his space base and <laughs> Port Isabel, which is kind of like the beach of yep. that town. And so now it's, um, yeah, if you're an Elon fan, it's, it's people know Brownsville because of it. But yeah, back then it was not at all. Got it. Got it. So before we jump into NFT, Sergio, I'm just curious with crypto, when did crypto just first hit your radar? And what did you think? Was it like, oh, this is a scam or, hey, this is interesting. I want to learn more. Like, take me through your thought process there. Yeah. So, you know, I have a kind of like one of those stories where Bitcoin knocked on my door really early on and I didn't open. I was working at Goldman Sachs and a colleague of mine, very bright guy who I really, even though he was younger, I really looked up to him because he was really, really smart. Um, Came over one day and said, hey, I'm leaving the company. I'm leaving Goldman Sachs. I'm going to to a startup. And I was like, hey, man, what are you doing? Like, you're literally partner track here. He's a rock star. He's like, no, I just, you know, I fell in love with, with digital currencies and Bitcoin. I'm like, what the hell is that? (laughs) Um, so he left and we stayed in touch for about a year because, um, you know, he was building in, in the currency space at the end of the day and I was on a currency desk and and we were, you know, friendly. So he kept in touch and eventually he was like, Hey, listen, my, the app is ready to be downloaded. Uh, like about a year later, it's like downloaded and and buy some Bitcoin. It's called Coinbase. Mm. I was like, huh? So I downloaded Coinbase. 
and tried to transfer $200 over and then like Chase was like fraud alert. And so <laughs> didn't. Now this person is, is Fred Ersim, who's now the, you know, co-founder of Paradigm as well as, you know, he was a co-founder of Coinbase and a uh, very successful guy. And um, yeah, so, you know, I kind of like, it was like, I think it was like $12, $14 per Bitcoin. And I saw it go all the way to a thousand on the first cycle and then kind of like crash all the way down. And then next cycle, it was like, what, all the way to like 20,000 and crash back down. And I, I growing up in Mexico, it's funny because you value physical assets, right? Mexico went through a couple of devaluations and inflationary periods where the money that you own, it just kind of like, you know, lost its value. And so people really like to have real estate and other things that they can physically touch. And, and that originally kind of like um, interfered with my ability to understand Bitcoin because I was like, mm -hmm. what happens if the lights go out? right? Like, where's your money? Um, and it wasn't until 2020, during the COVID crisis, um, when Bitcoin crashed down to like $3,000. And I, I, you know, I had on my radar because I was working on a trading desk, and obviously you're looking at different asset classes in the macro world. And I, and I thought to myself, well, this thing didn't go to zero again. I know okay. a lot of really smart people that have, you know, been in that ecosystem that continue to be, and that do well, um, I, I should take a closer look. So, um, you know, I called some of my friends that were in the space and they they pointed me to Bitcoin and Ether. And I kind of just bought some and then set like recurring buys every two weeks. Because, um, huh. you know, the world was going crazy with COVID and, you know, I was on a trading desk and I was actually going to the office. And it was just, I didn't really have the bandwidth for it. And it wasn't until later that year in uh, late 2020 that I, you know, once things kind of like settled down a little bit more, um, I took a closer look at, at the space especially DeFi, because being in Wall Street, you know, kind of like the natural transitions, like, oh, let's see what, what is this thing that's supposed to revolutionize the uh, kind of like the finance world. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, I've said it on other podcasts, like I at first didn't get it, right? When you like operate within such a, uh, you know, framework for call it 12 years of your professional life, you know, the way things are done in traditional finance, and then you come to DeFi and like, you know, it's so different and so yeah. revolutionary. Um, it was a little bit hard to understand at first. Um, luckily for me, there was an article on one of the, you know, the crypto, the crypto blogs. Uh, I think it was like the Defiant. They started talking about CryptoPunks because G Money, who's now a good personal friend, um, had just acquired his Ape Punk for like one hundred and forty thousand dollars, and that really caught my attention. Mm. And it was that it was through that and the exploration of kind of like NFTs and punks and joining the punks Discord that I really saw the value of digital assets and that literally just completely changed my life and my career. Got it. So just, just to back up just a tad bit. So you said with G money, so was that the first time that I guess NFTs kind of came across your radar? They were, yes. Um, I hadn't really, I had, you know, been studying like DeFi and understanding like liquidity pools and like all the cool stuff that, that you can do on that side of the world. Uh, but it wasn't until I saw G money's ape punk feature on their article that I, that I even like heard the word NFT or at least consciously knew what it was. Yeah, got it. Okay, no, that's, that's super cool. That makes sense. So now, Sergio, this is just my favorite question because it's just it's just flat out funny, like just to see the responses. So what does your family, friends, like what do they think of NFTs? Like is there anybody that's like, dude, Sergio, you're crazy. Like, dude, I'll just screenshot that. Like what, you know, anything like that? Um, you know, three years later, um, they all think that, you know, they're, they're happy that I'm really happy in the space. Uh -huh. Back then, you know, it was different stages. My, you know, my coworkers at the bank, I was working at Barclays at the time. I was leading the Latin America equity derivatives sales desk. 
And uh, yeah, the majority of people were like, what are you doing? Like, you know, like you're crazy. Like, this is dumb. Like, these are JPEGs. Um, others understood it. Um, there was a lot, especially clients who were really curious to hear more. They were like, okay, tell me more. Like, what is going on here? Uh, keep me posted. A couple of them, like even like I helped them buy their first NFTs. Um, so it was a bunch of different groups. I would say, again, like looking back, you know, those that are close to me understand. And obviously NFTs have done a lot for myself and my career. So obviously they see the positives. Um, but yeah, back then it was it was a mixed bag. Um, you know, my mom, my sister, my dad, were they're always like support me on my crazy ideas. So they were like, yeah, we don't know what you're doing, but we love it. Um, I bought a bunch of NFTs for my for my family early on. And obviously they saw them appreciate, sold some of them and they were really happy with the windfall. So after that, they were like, yeah, yeah, you know, we love it. We love NFTs. That's, that's super cool. So I noticed you're rocking the uh, CryptoPunk PFP. What is your, like, what excites you the most about the CryptoPunk community? Just the whole collection? Like, what, what do you, what's your take there? Oh, man, that's a whole like two hour conversation. But, you know, punks, again, for the first foray into NFTs for me, I um, once I read more uh, more about punks, I downloaded Discord. I'm not a gamer, so I didn't have Discord before. Um, and I went into the punks Discord and it was right before punks got really, really hot. This was like about actually about this day, three years ago, um, early February of 21. And um, I just found a community of people that were super OG into Ethereum, super friendly, super welcoming, um, but also like driven and ambitious. And, and, and so it reminded me of being at Goldman Sachs early on, just being in that group. And so after a couple of days of being just buried in the Discord, I bought my punk, which is this one that you that you see on my profile. It's 6507. And I used it on my Twitter you know, profile picture and I didn't have a Twitter follow. I didn't have a Twitter before NFTs. Mm -hmm. And I immediately noticed people started treating me very differently. A lot of new follows and a lot of account of people just giving me kind of, you know, I was borrowing almost like the goodwill that the punk community had built. And it, yep. it really reminded me of being 23 years old and going to South America on business trips with my Goldman Sachs business card. And mm -hmm. people just treating me very differently and like, you know, like scheduling meetings and having, good conversations with me because of the Goldman business card. And so having the punk on Twitter, Discord, and so on, it just reminded me of that. So I was like, okay, there's something super special here. And obviously now looking back, you know, punks being the, they're not, they're not the first NFTs, but the first kind of like big PFP kind of landmark, obviously, you know, pretty much every PFP collection afterwards is a derivative. And that's not a bad thing. You know, they've drawn inspiration from the punks. Um, and the community is super strong. is worldwide. I've had the opportunity to, you know, when I'm out, when I'm abroad, just pinging the punks Telegram, being like, "Hey guys, I'm in Amsterdam," and a couple of punks will come out and have a beer. And it's like, it's like, you know, I was not in a fraternity in, in college, but from what it looks like to me, this feels like being in like this super special internet fraternity with, you know, it's kind of like almost 4,000 people around the world who really value similar things, who are super excited about the future of, you know, decentralization and blockchain and Web3. Um, and it's it's just it's just one of those things where it's become my identity, not yeah. just online, but also, you know, in person, right? Like go to punk events and really kind of almost feel like have to really represent the community well. And, and having something like that, especially when you're an adult, right? I'm like in my late 30s. It's, it's different. It kind of almost brings that feeling of being like, you know, when your friends group back back in like elementary school and so on. So it's a combination of things 
that I like, the provenance, the community, just what they represent. And I also think it's pretty cool. You know, it's just a few pixels and they can denote so much. That's badass, Sergio. That that makes total sense. Like that was well said. I, I like that. Um, so what would you say is different about NFTs moving into 2024 versus the previous years? Um, everything is always evolving in NFTs, but then also feels like everything stays the same. And I think that's just such a parallel to the human condition, which is what I love about Web3. What's changing? You know, I think people finally realize that valuations from late 21 were just a speculative bubble. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, in order to really enjoy this digital asset ownership, you had to go beyond just wanting the number to go up, which is, you know, it's fun. And it, don't get me wrong, we all enjoy it. But um, people that are really going to be building in Web3 for the future are those that understand that now you have this, you know, this digital asset, this token, this network token that you can use to deliver value, to connect to others, to identify others in a permissionless, decentralized way. And, and, and so I think once we saw kind of that, you know, bubble uh, deflate, you started to see like primitives and new use cases that point in the direction of where, you know, the future of NFTs um, is. And, and I think that perception and that, you know, the, the wave of people that left because they were just speculators and they were just here for, for, for that, um, really left the builders behind or the true believers, right? Like you really have to have conviction in digital assets to stock around, you know, late 22 and through 23. So it was a good indicator of, of, of what's to come. Um, and it just got me really excited about the future too. Awesome. So this might tie back into that same question, but just talking about mass adoption, to me, it's just always fun to speculate and just wonder what, what's going to be the thing if there's just one specific thing, but what do you think is the biggest friction point at this? Like, what's the biggest friction at this point? Onboarding still. Got I it. think that, you know, onboarding is something that uh, will continue to work through this cycle and maybe next. It is, I think the biggest difference between, you know, crypto and NFTs and everything else is just, you know, self-custody and self-ownership. And uh, humans have worked their technology towards actually kind of, uh, putting away responsibility or putting it on somebody else, right? Like, you know, the bank holds your money. Um, you trust other people to hold stuff of value for you and so on. And it's, it's, it's such a paradigm change when you're the one responsible for, for your own assets. And so the tech and the experience, you know, the UI, the UX hasn't really been there for mass adoption. And, and I'm excited to see some of the innovations that, are coming out some of them that you know we're working here internally at Fireblocks to bring to market, um, but but it really is that it's still going to be that first step where like you know how do you give your mom an NFT, a token, or or a coin, and make sure that they're able to really utilize that in a way that you know brings them the most utility, the most joy that makes sense, and that they're not put at risk to like lose it to you know a phishing attack or so. A hundred percent. Because honestly, like I love my mom to death, but I am not confident in her ability to maintain an NFT. So a hundred percent agree there. Uh, just Sergio, take this take this question literally wherever, like just whatever you think, just wherever. What is the metaverse? The metaverse is just the digital space where we live. Um, you know, the metaverse already exists in that 
you know, it's kind of like very 2D and not immersive. But I mean, look at us, right? I'm in a laptop in an office in New York City. I don't know where you're located, but you're certainly not in the same room as me. And we're recording this and somebody will hear it on their Spotify uh, down the road and, you know, could be halfway around the world um, through digital mediums and, and digital devices. And so the metaverse is, is, is that, right? It's like this digital kind of like layer of reality that we've created through time. Um, and, and I think a lot of people think of the metaverse as like the, you know, kind of just three of the characters walking around. But the reality is just, it's, it's just a, an additional layer of reality that's built in the digital realm that allows you to stay connected, do business and kind of just be, be very human, but in like a virtual way of sorts. 100%. Before we get into Fireblock, Sergio, I'm just curious, can you just tell me a little bit more about, so there's Seize the Meebs and Seize the Memes, is that correct? Yes. So, um, you know, Punk6529 launched a collection uh, called Seize the Memes, and they do edition digital art uh, with a bit of a meme flavor here and there, and sometimes it's just like really cool pieces. Um, and his idea is that, you know, we need to get digital assets in the hands of as many people as possible. And um, I think it's a it's a very noble mission. And um, what we did, I mean, we, me and a couple of people from the Mibits community uh, back actually a year ago, um, we were kind of interested in, in getting the Mibits more widely known, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Mibits got sold from Larva Labs to Yuga Labs. And, and in that transition, they kind of got lost a little bit. And so I, I don't know. One day I was like, hey, we, we should cease and, and meme the Mibits to relevancy. And so I launched Seize the Memes, which is a collection of digital art inspired on, you know, 6529 memes and rare peppers, but that feature Mibits as the subjects of the art piece. Um, and so we did, what, 56 cards over three seasons. Later on, season two and season three, we opened up um, the collections to include punks and pudgy mm -hmm. penguins but still the great majority of our pieces feature Mibits. And so what I wanted to do was showcase Mibits as kind of like those digital metaverse ready human forms um, that, you know, if you look at art history, going back to like cave paintings, and then you walk through any museum in the world, right? The number one subject that you see um, by far the most of is the human body, right? And so I feel like Mibits are that piece of art, like this, you know, new dimensional, art for the metaverse and we wanted to showcase that and so we partnered up with a bunch of really cool artists who kind of presented Mibits in their own way and, and and it was a really fun project to to work on and, and develop and build a community and so on got it it's super cool and yeah shout out to punk 6529 definitely a learning source when i entered the nft scene um so sergio talk to me about fireblocks like what, what are y'all working on over there yeah no so fireblocks is you know, probably the biggest crypto company in the world that most crypto people have not heard of mm -hmm. um, because we are a provider of digital asset infrastructure for enterprises. So our business is, you know, B2B. Um, we, prov we enable pretty much every business to provide digital asset services, products to their clients. Um, you know, we're known for our wallet infrastructure. So a lot of the wallet infrastructure at the big exchanges around the world or banks or even custodians around the world um, is built on top of the Fireblocks um, infra. So there are clients. And, and, and so you're, we're always back on like kind of like that layer where 
we sit deep in the tech stack in that foundational piece of their tech stack. Um, and a lot of the wallets that are, you know, end up being provided by exchanges for deposits or like NFT mints and so on are actually Firebox wallets. Um, and so now we're just working on, on helping onboard the world of corporations and institutions onto blockchain by providing them a really easy and secure, robust way to you know manage those digital asset operations. So we have you know wallet as a service, we have a tokenization offering, um, we have smart contract management, and um, a bunch of you know you start putting those building blocks together. It's a bunch of different cool things that can be built um, using Fireblocks. You know we support well over forty blockchains, for example. We have 1,600 institutional clients all over the world. Uh, we have presence in all five continents. So it's just, again, like the biggest crypto company that most retail people have never heard of. Got it. I like it. So just to touch on it real quick, it just popped in my head, Sergio. Do you, I've always said, and again, I'm not even like a uh, Ethereum maxi. However, I always say that I believe the Ethereum blockchain is like the Louis Vuitton of the blockchains, right? It's the the Lamborghini of the blockchains. What do you think about all that? What do you think about interoperability, like the Bitcoin blockchain? Like, what do you think? Ethereum, especially for collectibles. Like, I'm just curious, like, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the future is omni-chain or multi-chain, however you want to call it. Um, obviously, Ethereum captured the, the mind share and the market share of the valuable NFTs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Uh, not that I'm an ETH maxi, but I'm an ETH lover. I do love the EVM and Ethereum. Um, but if you look around, I mean, this year, right, like ordinals on Bitcoin have been really growing and capturing a lot of value. Um, there's certain collections on Solana that have done the same. So the way I look at blockchains myself, I think of them as countries, right, where every country has its own flavor. And it's kind of like, you know, it's citizens and it's culture and it's, you know, expensive real estate here and cheap real estate over there and so on. Um, and, and to me, you know, um, if you think of, for example, Ethereum, to your point, as kind of like the bougie place, maybe like France, <laughs> right, it has a very unique um, collection of like art history and museum and palaces that maybe it's not something that we have in Mexico, but in yep. Mexico we have a different flavor. And it's not like that one is better than the other, yep. um, right? It's more like it's just different flavors of things. And, and I think what... I really like to see is just every blockchain really build a robust Web3 ecosystem because at the end of the day, that's going to help everybody. Um, and, and and you're starting to see that, you know, recently. And, and that's really exciting. 100%. That was perfectly explained. I like that. I've never heard that before. But yeah, that makes total sense. So, uh, Sergio, what just what innovations, projects, like what are you most excited about here in the near future? Oh, man, so many things happening right now. Um, I think, you know, like looking at what we're doing here at Fireblocks, for example, um, when, especially when it comes to Web3, um, there was a lot of initiatives from, you know, global brands and corporates um, in the Web3 space that maybe didn't really come to fruition because the technology wasn't there, right? There was not the right set of tools. Um, even stuff like, you know, if you wanted to airdrop a thousand tokens to different wallets, if you do that on, on ETH mainnet, it was going to cost you a pretty penny. Um, and, and maybe, you know, the L2s were in there, alt L1s were in there. And so as technology does its thing, right, the technology cycle is always 
kind of like moving towards making things faster, more efficient, cheaper to 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 execute. Um, there's a lot of um, I guess new tools that will enable that um, inclusion or or that entrance of those big brands and corporates into the space. So now, for example, you have non-custodial wallets that uh, brands can spin up on behalf of their clients without them having the, the custody of those assets, which obviously gets them in like a little bit of regulatory hot water. Like I said, you have the L2s, you have a bunch of new, even like, um, you know, types of tokens with like all the innovation that's being done on the Solana side. Um, and then like the different ERCs in, in Ethereum. Um, again, Ordinal is something that, you know, that protocol didn't really exist in 21. And so I see a toolbox that's a lot more full with a lot of really interesting things that can be utilized um, by those big brands and corporates that, you know, while I'm a crypto native, I would think by now, um, you know, it's no it's no secret that it is those big players that are going to help us onboard more people onto Web3. So the fact that they have, um, you know, better tooling today really gets me excited. And, you know, we're already working on some stuff with with some big brands here at Fireblocks. Some of them are public, some of them are not, but just, you know, being here, sitting on those conversations and helping them think about their strategy and what they're going to bring into the world. Um, yeah, just makes me really, really happy to uh, to come to work every day. 100%. That's that's super awesome. So now, Sergio, kind of just one more fun question for you. You have a nephew, a niece. They come up to you at a family gathering, right? They mention, hey, Sergio, like, I want to get into NFTs, blockchain, crypto. Like, what would be your advice or where should they start? Uh, education, first and foremost. And I think not just for a nephew or niece, but also like a grandfather or a mom or an uncle. Um, crypto's always had that allure of, you know, money. And people think that they need to buy a token to participate in the crypto ecosystem and crypto ethos. And well, yes, you need gas money to execute most stuff on chain. Um, I think that it's better to prepare new entrants with education as to, you know, how things work, why they work, you know, the differences between chains and tokens and so on. So I really point them, you know, I have a couple of links that I've saved. I think now with the latest, um, you know, there's a couple of really cool books that got published um, recently. So the Everything Token and then Read, Write, Own. I bought a bunch of copies um, and and I have them ready to give them out to people that that inquire about, you know, blockchain and crypto. Um, and I think for me, that's always the first step, you know, educate yourself. How can I help you? I'm more than happy always to jump on calls with friends and family. It's funny because in 21, I had like an onboarding call and I had like 45 people log into a Zoom to learn how to download and set up their MetaMask, for example, right? I feel like if I would put that out today, I'd probably have like a couple people. Um, so it's a good indicator too of like, you know, where we are in the market cycle. But for me, you know, education, that's 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 always step one. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'm excited to get a copy of that Read, Write, Own. I just recently saw that. Um, so Sergio, just last thing to just to wrap it up, just not even NFTs, not even blockchain, like nothing Web3, just what are you excited about? Like a new movie, like a the Super Bowl, like just anything just super random. Like, what, what are you excited about? I'm excited just to continue to see technological advancement across the board, right? So obviously AI has captured the imaginations uh-huh. of, of everybody and, and it's having a huge impact already. Like in the financial markets, AI companies are doing pretty, pretty well. Um, but I just want to see how that plays out. For example, on the education part, you know, being ESL, having learned English, you know, in high school, it was, it was, it was challenging. It was hard. And so... I'm excited to see kids 
uh, be able to leverage AI for, again, right, education and getting better at whatever concept they want to get better at. And, and it, it just really, really excite me, excites me. I know it's a flavor of the day, um, but it is one of those technologies that, you know, once in a generation, transformational, and it's going to really, I think, even the playing field. And so I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm getting not every single one of my, my I have, I have a, a bunch of younger uh, siblings-in-law. Um, so my nephews and nieces are still very young, but but my siblings-in-law are like high school and college. So just trying to get them to use AI as much as they can and, and myself included, right? Like this is just kind of having like a superpower and, and, and yeah, it just, I want I, I'm excited to see how it like changes the world for the best, hopefully. A hundred percent. I agree, Sergio. Well, Sergio, this was a great episode. Again, I appreciate you for joining me today and I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, good luck with everything. I really appreciate having uh, myself and Fireblocks on today. Awesome. Well, you have a great rest of your week, Sergio. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Baby, lately I've been going crazy. I've been going crazy lately. I've been going crazy, crazy. Yeah, I've been going crazy, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been getting paper, paper. Made a hole in without a motherfucking major label. Yeah, they like clock, you major. I just set a new set of poles.